Welcome to the POV Hamilton podcast, where we're talking to innovators, educators, leaders, and builders across the Steel City. We have the most diversified economy in Canada, and there are hundreds of stories waiting to be told of the people, the companies, and the organizations making it happen. Here's whose point of view you'll be listening to today. My name is Leo Napolu Johnson. Um, I live in Hamilton, originally from Liberia. I am the executive director and founder of Empowerment Squared, um, a local charity in Hamilton that supports newcomer, marginalized, and racialized youth and families through our education system. When I arrived in Canada in 2006 as a government-sponsored refugee, having lived about eight and a half years on two refugee camps in West Africa, arrived as an unaccompanied minor, and I was shocked when I started to read that kids in Canada uh, were dropping out of school for many different reasons. It just didn't make sense to me because where I come from, you find ways to sneak into the classroom because your parents cannot afford to pay the tuition. So I couldn't connect how that was possible, that you didn't have to pay out of pocket here. So I took a unique interest in understanding how young newcomers were integrating into Canada. And I realized that a big part of it was through our education system. Based on how young they were, they would spend the next 15 to 20 years of their lives trying to navigate it. And if they did well, their lives often turned out better. And if they didn't do so well, we knew what the circumstances or the outcomes were. So that was what sparked my interest. And in my mind, I thought there should be no reason why we shouldn't empower kids, not just newcomer kids, anyone, to be able to take advantage of this opportunity that children in other parts of the world were literally dying to access. It's really true improving learning outcomes. And I'm very particular when I say learning outcomes and not educational outcomes, because there's a very specific connotation when you say education versus learning. A lot of young newcomers who come to Canada come here after surviving some conditions that you and I cannot even begin to imagine. It's hard for me to believe that they're not able to deal with the circumstances here compared to what they had to deal with in war zones and refugee camps. So a lot of young newcomers who arrive in this country, their path to integration is really unlocking the wealth of experiences and resilience that they bring to add to what is already here to face the challenges that they have to face. What is language? What is the education system? What are other barriers that you think about? I think we just need to give them the opportunity to tap into that in such a deep way that they can take on what's in front of them. If I'm in Hamilton or I'm in Canada, I will figure out where the police station is. I will figure out where the hospital is. I will find out where the schools are. That is not what I need, but that's what you get when you go through the formal orientation when you get here. What is difficult to get, is there someone who I can trust at 3 a.m. in the morning when I can't sleep because I'm dealing with PTSD? Is there someone who I know that will be willing to listen, that will be willing to support me that is where it's difficult, and that's where connections come in. And I think often people think that when newcomers, or whoever, when you're here and you have government assistance or you have these institutions, then the problem is solved. Now, those institutions are there, and trust me, whether you support or not, at some point I'll figure out how to engage with them because the information is out there. What is difficult to find is people that I can build a relationship of trust with that can understand me and take me for who I am. And a lot of my work has actually led me to my involvement with the UN. 
So in 2019, I was selected um, as one of the United Nations Fellows um, for the International Decade for people of African descent. There were 14 of us globally that were selected that year um, to go to Geneva. Spent about two months there in an intensive training um, with the UN systems, human rights, and it's amazing because it has opened up an opportunity where we can contextualize some of the conversations happening around equity, diversity, and inclusion, not just from an institutional standpoint, but from a lived experience now. So we can marry the lived experience with the institutional knowledge and then find gaps for which we can innovate in ways that can allow all of us to know that all people are longing for is a sense of belonging. And whether you're a refugee, whether you're a newcomer, whether you've always been here but marginalized, people are longing for a sense of belonging, a sense of knowing that I am part of this community, I am part of this family, and what happens to me matters, good or bad. We often try to ensure that whatever we do through our programs is responsive to what I call emerging needs. It's interesting that you see a lot of things have been done today based on research we did 25 years ago, and we assume that the world has remained in that same place 25 years ago. So our programs, most of the programs we run, are, are constantly moving and evolving. So locally, we've used um, the education system as the bedrock of our program. So we run an academic mentoring program, sports and recreation, arts, and then we do a parent support program where we are empowering parents to support their children's education. It's interesting, people try to support these groups in isolation, you cannot because they do not live in isolation. If the parents are not doing well, there's absolutely no way you can help the children do well and vice versa. So our goal here is to ensure that families can break the cycle of poverty, not because someone handed them something, but because someone supported them in unlocking the ability to learn, the ability to adapt using the gifts that they already have while they're building new ones. So my thought process is how do we share what we've achieved as a community, as a country, as a people, to places in the world that people are literally dying from it. Why we continue to tackle the issues that we have. No one's asking us for what we don't have. You can only give to the world what you've got. So we can share it. It costs us little to nothing to share what we've already achieved, and that does not stop us from tackling the other challenges we also face as a people. It is only in the charitable sector that investors and funders are willing to fund a one-year business plan. It makes absolutely no sense. If you take a one-year business plan to the bank and tell the bank, I need a loan to run a business, but I only stop at one year, a year one. Sorry, you're not getting it. So, but in the charitable sector, funders and investors will ask you that they can only fund a program for one year, and they don't know what they will fund the next year. It takes one year to figure out what is going on. It takes year two to understand what do we need to do. And by year three, maybe you've gotten a good idea. So all I'm trying to tell people is, when you support organizations, don't see it as a donation. I stop using the word donation in many ways. It's an investment. If I believe in education, and I believe educational outcomes for marginalized children is important, then I'm not donating because I have my own interest as to what the outcome is. I'm investing because I'd expect a return. And that return would be whether in three years or five years, 
that 100 children or whatever the number is should be doing better in school than before I invested. So we need to shift our focus to look at the things we do as part of our responsibility to him or her whom much is given, much is required. Uh, because guess what? One way or the other, what you benefited happened as a result of the collective of where you live and there were all kinds of impacts to get to where you are. Marginalized newcomers, racialized people are trying to build when theirs have been taken. You would expect that there will be so much bitterness, but no. They're simply trying to build, and not to build in isolation, to contribute to the general mosaic that is Canada. Even though theirs were hijacked in many ways, whether it was through slavery, whether it was through um, indigenous mistreatment and residential school and, and suppression, um, economic deprivation, you can go on and on. But yet, instead of bitterness, they're only trying to build when theirs have been taken. So we need to think about it as to how we are investing compared to how we are trying to help people who need our handouts. Nowadays, the world that we live in, um, a big need is around resources. And I'm saying resources in its totality. You know, money is important, um, but it's not the most important tool. You can give all the money if the other things needed to make the money work do not exist. Um, it will be a missed opportunity. Volunteers are also another key piece that we need a lot of people who can step up to the plate and support either through their expertise or through time that they can, they can bring to, to actually bear. Don't think you are out of the picture only because you may not have money or you can volunteer. Because all of us can only do what we can within our means. So many at times when people ask me what they can do, I say to them, ask yourself, what do you have to offer? Because I can tell you what you have to offer will help us or not. And we may not be the only organizations. There are a lot of great organizations out there that you could connect with and still make an impact. So regardless of what you do, you only can control what you have. What you don't have, you cannot control. And I don't waste my time yearning and chasing the things I don't have. I spend a lot of time maximizing the ones that I do have because everybody wants to be on a winning team. Regardless of the size of the victory, everyone loves to be on a winning team. And if you can win with what you have, you would just surprise yourself as to how many people want to identify because they can, they can be assured. Instead of you asking me to list the number of things that we need, I want you to tell me what can you do within your means. But as an organization, the work that we do is, is again, supporting marginalized newcomer families. So if you feel this is something that speaks to your heart and you want to be a part of, then I need you to also then answer the question for yourself. What can you do within your means to ensure that this work continues? I still remember when I arrived in Canada in 2006 as a government-sponsored refugee and an unaccompanied minor at the time. I remember the first time I walked into the apartment that was mine. I came from school one evening and I, many times actually, I will flick the switch and just let the light stay on and just watch it. Or I would turn the faucet open and just let the water run because in many ways, that was the first time for me to know that I can be guaranteed that the water will be clean. I can be guaranteed that the lights will come on. Or I can be guaranteed that I was in a space that was safe and decent to sleep that I could call my own in the first place. And I use that as a reflection for a lot of young people when I talk to them today. What you need to succeed, you've already got. And it is your responsibility to start to look for what can help you improve it, build on it. 
Focus on what you've got. I don't care who you are. You can be a sweeper, you can be a professor, you can be whatever you think you are. Instead of thinking that you need what you don't have, the moment you start to realize the power of what you have, the better you can be. So I say to people in Canada, you know, we tell people here, you're almost there, but you're never there. When you're young, go to high school. When you're done high school, your future will be bright. When you're done high school, go to college, and you know, it will get even better when you score high grades. You go to college, oh, now you just have an undergraduate degree. You need to try and get a graduate degree. And then you get a graduate degree, and oh, you know what? When you get a PhD, actually, the salary increases. By the time you're done, you're 65 years old and you're just good enough to retire. So stop trying to always get there and evaluate what you have now because you are already at a destination. What are you doing with that destination before looking at another destination to get to? Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode and please consider rating and reviewing as it helps others to find the show. For more information or to listen to past episodes, go to povhamilton.com.